Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. There's a story going around that Donald Trump has made a big deal out of that he eats pudding with his hands, with his fingers. What? Yes. What? <laughs> yes. There's a, there's what? a story that he was on a plane traveling somewhere and he had one of those jello pudding cups yeah and he ate it with three fingers not a spoon well that is weird i mean i'm not saying it's not fun but i don't know that i would do that in public so somebody could see me do that the tony kornheiser show is on now it's a disqualifier for being president eating pudding with your fingers in public private okay not in public This is our special Memorial Day show, and you're asking, well, why would you do a show on Memorial Day? Don't you always play in a golf tournament? And the answer is, I thought I did, and I thought we always had Memorial Day off. But I was told we don't have Memorial Day off, and we haven't for four years. And so, Michael, you... Start playing Michael's music. This is his entrance. Yeah, you're going to play in the tournament. (laughs) For the last two years, I've now played in your place in the Memorial Day tournament. And you've won shop credit with Team Coco. Oh, correct. Yeah, so I expect you to do that today. I'm entering the net division. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. You're going to play from the Whites. Playing from the Whites? Walking only? We just got the email? Yeah, so you're going to be fine. I'm ready. You're going to be fine playing (laughs) from the Whites. Um, In preparation for that, Michael and I, we... Michael and I had... A most lovely day on Saturday. We played with Alan and Andrew Bubis. Played in about three hours and 40 minutes. Um, I played well for me. I I did. I got the ball in the air a bunch of times. I wasn't terrible. Uh, What did you shoot? Did you round par? Yeah, a couple over. over. Yeah, that's something like that. A lot of really good iron shots. Hadn't played in a long time, so that was really good. We had a... Lovely time, and then Michael and Liz brought the boys over. Are you going to talk about what happened to you on number 12? What happened? Oh, when I was in the sand th- on three or four different shots and then picked it up and threw it out. <laughs> yeah, no, I had a bad day. I had a bad, that's a bad hole for me. Bad okay. hole. Right. That's, Let's remember a, all the good shots. Yeah, that was a bad hole for me, but I played, I, I felt I played pretty well. Oh, you know, I wasn't in a tournament, so it didn't really matter. I just said, okay, I can't do this. I've got to get better in the sand, and by better I mean I've just got to be able to hit it out, which I can't can't do at the moment. Then they brought the kids over, and Michael grilled for his family and left the leftovers for me. Grilled which, for my family. I told you, I called you the night before saying, I'm going to purchase enough food so that you can eat with us, but I understand adults might not want to you know, eat at the first seating with the yeah, kids. Yeah, so. a little early, but it was, it was lovely. Uh, it was just a lovely day, and although the, the boys are, well, I don't know if, the captain is afraid of Chessie, but the others, Bootsy and the Hammer, are afraid of Chessie. But Chessie was outside the whole time, or if she came inside, she had Frisbees in her mouth, so she couldn't put a child's body in her mouth. <laughs> and they were everybody seemed to be good with that. Yeah, I'm holding the captain in my arms, who is 11 months and is now beginning to take four, five, six steps, That's walking right. with confidence, and That's is right. just so happy to reach out to anyone, even mistakenly reached out for you for a quick hold. I held him. Uh, but he's let him go. Every time the no. dog barks, you're like, what's wrong? <laughs> What's wrong? I, th- I don't know. He's less than a year old, and that's kind of a scary noise. Yeah. Now, I understand. But it'll get better as yeah. time goes on. Then yesterday, I played again. I played with Kevin Sheehan. Oh, I have yep. to tell you about this. I have to tell you about Kevin. How many bets? Um, there was just a few bets. Uh, it was within... Six keys to the front nine. Yeah, it was within <laughs> Driving game. one Long hole. Long iron play. <laughs> was within one Short hole. game. So often that he couldn't lines. press. I'll tell you what happened. So first of all, Kevin hits it. You got to win it on the greens. Kevin <laughs> kills it off the tee. He kills it. He hits it 250 to 270. Big hitter. He 
kill big hitter Kevin. the llama. <laughs> big hitter. Kills it off the tee. The rest of his game isn't quite as good, which he's free to admit. So I'm playing with Dennis Dufour, and, and he's playing with Michael Crilly. These are the teams, just playing a regular match. And Kevin is killing it off the tee. On the last hole, if they win the last hole, if they win 18, all bets are even. I mean, Kevin's rotating 87 bets in his head, but he says all bets are even. Kevin kills a drive. I play 40 yards up. I play on the old man tees. I'm sort of near Kevin. Kevin hits a great second shot. A great second shot onto the green. I don't know. 15 feet past the hole, middle pin, 15 feet past the hole. I hit as good a shot as I can hit. I cannot hit it any better. I am on the approach, the upslope to the green. I am puttable. I putt a very bad putt. I'm about 10 feet out on the left. I got it wrong. I got a chance, though. I got it wrong. I've got a chance. Kevin makes a terrible putt. A terrible putt. (laughs) Good, good. Leaves himself six feet. Uh, Leaves himself six feet. We are both putting for four. I miss my putt. I'm going to get five. I miss by a foot. I'm going to get five. Kevin is six, seven feet. Walks up to it. Does not even look at it. Does not even measure it. Does not even put his putter down. Just hits it. Misses it. He's angry. He walks off. I said, what are you doing? Why, are you rushing? Why did you do that? He's yes. like, just, I didn't. I was angry. So just, okay. <laughs> and that was it. He was crazed. Crazed on the 18th green. Could have won. He could have won. He didn't even attempt to win. Didn't care. Who knows? It was totally crazy. Had I had a wonderful time. The weather held up. As, had held up. It was gorgeous. The weather right? was like cool. The weather was fall weather for two days, right? Yeah, we've had we've had a beautiful stretch. Uh, but yes, this holiday weekend has been really nice. So I had a lovely time doing both of those things. Watched the Nats a bunch. Um, Nats were at Kansas City. We have a listener. We have a little. Matt, right? The manager of the Royals. The manager of the Royals. <laughs> so I hope he's not listening this season. He's so, got some pressing matters. So they're yeah. a bad team. Yeah. They're a really bad team. My feeling is this. I want them to win every game except the games against the Nats. The Nats of had course. a chance for the sweep. And yes. the Nats, the Nats, Mackenzie Gore, he goes seven. He gives up one. 11 strikeouts. 11 strikeouts, three hits, something like that. The bullpen doesn't help And he's again. managing the lefties better. And then they put in cool. yeah who's a starter, and now he's a reliever because he's not that great a starter. And in the bottom of the ninth, Dominic Smith. You know how I feel about Dominic Smith. And he 14 had a couple, RBI Dominic Smith. Yeah, one home run. One home run. Power position, first base. One home run on pace for four. <laughs> no power. Zero power. It's like three doubles as well. Just the singles. Rest singles. He's always got a single. He's been hitting very well for the last two weeks. Hits a lot of singles. Batting 275. And I think a pretty good fielder. But on this particular play, it's a Bill Buckner situation. (laughs) Oh, no. Bill Buckner situation goes right through his legs. Now there's a man on second. A couple of batters later. on first? Clean hit. No, no, no. That gets this. I don't know. He's on third. Um, And he gets a clean single to right field. Um, Lane Thomas later says, maybe I should have dove for it. If I die for it, it gets by me. If I trap it, I got a chance with my arm to throw it. He didn't throw him out. And the Royals win. The Royals walk off on a single. Um, and so the, you know, but I'm happy for Matt. Sure. I'm happy for him. He's a manager. They're a bad team. You know, you want to be able to get three years with a team. You want to show a certain amount of improvement. There were two things. I wanted to watch that very much. 
And there was something else that I watch all the time. I'm going to ask if either of you watched it yesterday. The Indianapolis 500. I did not. I did not. We were out of the house. We took the boys to a, a barbecue at a friend's house so they could play in a moon bounce. But I know how much, like, you, you, you love this event. I don't love the whole event. Right. Just I love the ending. Yes. I want to see the ending. And I tuned in with 15 laps to go. Oh, that's perfect. Thinking that would be six minutes, eight minutes. It was over an hour. There were three crashes. Oh, Every wow. restart was a crash. Every restart was a crash. Till the final one, they just did one lap. And I don't know the guy's name. Uh, but he was in second or third, and he took over the lead. And it's one lap. It's one lap. And he won it. Joseph Weggins or something like that. I don't know his name. Can you look up his name? Winner yes. of the Indianapolis 500. Newgarden. Yeah, his wife was very excited. Yes, and, Joseph Newgarden. Yeah, and I was, and he tried about 10 or 11 times, and, and this was his win. Yes. I was rooting for the guy who finished third because A.J. Foyt owned his car, and I like A.J. Foyt. I watched it. It was the greatest in the old days. The tape delayed Indianapolis 500 was just a great spectacle. Um, it is presented NBC. I give NBC credit. They present the horse races great and they present the Indianapolis 500. It used to be an ABC event. They present the Indianapolis 500 great. They got overhead shots. You see the whole track. They zoom in when they have to. They got very excited people calling the race. British people, or maybe they're not British people. They just pretend that British accent. <laughs> oh, who do that? Know. Oh, yeah, who do know. that? It's yeah. just miserable. And, and they get really excited, and each time there's a restart, and now it's a Oh, there's a crash. You know, I'm Cut, finally going to see who's going to win. You know, and I just put the medal down. You know, and it's screaming and yelling, leading you into the green flag. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. An Within hour. 20, 15 seconds. Wow. You see, you see up the track. You see behind the, the leader's people crashing into walls and they got to clean up the track. They red flag it and then they start again. It's a, it's an event I really love. And yet it was um, like thoroughly disappointing to me because it unsatisfactory. Well, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't. You know, it, it, it had, it felt like a stock car race. Oh, it sure. didn't feel like an indie race. They're different feels to these things. Yes. And it felt a little bit different. So, and I watched that. What else did I do? Anything else I did? Oh, I watched, Live golf for four minutes, and it is. On the Did w- you recognize the course? I mean, you haven't played. I haven't since played there in a while. So it Trump used to be Lowe's Island, Island, and I played there a few times. Um, it's a lovely course on the river. Trump took it over, and Trump does nice w- things for golf. Were you rooting for the rain rats or uh, the rain? The goat farmers is, wasn't the one called the goat farmers. I don't know. <laughs> but on the left the hand side of the, the screen. It is unbelievably confusing. Oh, yeah, just lots of It's moving schmutz. all the time. You don't know who you're watching, where they are, and then it's this team stuff. Yeah, this, this team has moved logos. past you. It has. It's, it's too modern for me, is what I'll say. It's, do you, did you watch any? I did not, and I, I'm, I'm actually very happy with who won. I, I've, always, I've always liked Harold Varner III. He's and the I guy who should have stayed on the he's PGA a, He's tour. a player that the tour should have tried to build something around. But no, the color scheme, the, the, the neon greens and all that, that's really not for is you. Is it not disconcerting to you that they wear shorts? It is disconcerting to me. Why? Mm. 
Uh, I'm used to pros wearing pants. Yeah, I've, I was always fine with the. I'm always fine with the shorts. You see them doing it the same thing for practice rounds at the majors. Uh, fine with you know range finders for yeah. uh, for that level of play because it does matter. And I do think you get to a point where we haven't had the issues here yet, but eventually you get to weather where it it, it is a uh, it's it's unhealthy to be out there in certain outfits. So, no, I'm fine with the shorts, but uh, the the team stuff I think is never. You're never going to catch that on, and they're banking on the on young kids yeah. invested in some level in that. Yeah, so um, I am curious. It, it's on the CW, on my cable system, 804. Just below. It, well, 804 is NBC, and 805 is Fox, and 807 is ABC, and 809 is CBS. Yes. So it's in, the, it's in a very accessible, perpetual, habitual area for me, and it's 803. It's right there. It's right there. Um, I'm curious as to what their television ratings were around here, the local ratings. Yeah, I mean, if you if you drive anywhere, you've been hearing the commercials for buying tickets to come see the big sticks coming through town, the big names. And I would be interested to see if they got any any uh, increase in ticket sales as you know once you saw Kepka win, Kepka the win the PGA. And once you get close enough and realize, like, oh, it's going to be a beautiful, Shambo, they had Kepka, beautiful they had weekend, Cam and all Smith. of a sudden, I want to see some of those players and. The CW. Did they have Phil? Had, was Phil there? Yeah, he was near dead last. Yeah. You have uh, you have local affiliates who have turned away from the live golf uh, to just air other reruns. So it'll be oh. interesting to see if people are now beginning to watch it. But you know, it was TV on number, TV numbers. You never really know. No, they can lie about them and make them work for themselves. But I'm, I was curious about that. Harold Varner is exactly the person that the PGA should have kept. And Harold Varner said and has said repeatedly, "I did this for, for the, the money." money. Hey, there's no pretense. I sure. did this for the money. Did he cash a $4 million check yesterday? Yep. Oof. $4 million, which he said a lot of it is going, he's got a foundation for children. Um, when you read his quotes, they're impressive. They're impressive. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, Michael Wilbon will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This letter comes from Mark Winkler, a member of the Websters, and he writes... Been listening to the stinking show for a few years, and every time Tony passes it to Michael or Nigel for the jingles contact, I think, I have a band. We have original music. Then it's on to the mailbag, and I start counting kitchen outlets and cooking 13-minute eggs, which works. So allow me to finally submit a couple of tracks from our band. The Webster's spelled incorrectly, W-E-B-S-T-I-R-S. Not sure why we chose that name. This is our sixth album, and people have largely stopped asking. I'm sure Blossom Enrod is now taken. But had I been listening to the show when we started, I might 
have suggested embalmed Beach Boys are my personal favorite. <laughs> Hot and not toasted. Mark Winkler for the Websters. This is called A Long Way to Go. Yes. It's a lovely band. It is. We're grateful. We're grateful for the music. It plays in Michael Wilbur. There's stuff we can talk about, but we're not going to talk about the basketball, and I'm not going to ask him about no. the Indy 500 at first. No, 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 no. At first, I'm going to ask him about his alma mater, Thank whose you. women athletes were playing in two very significant games yesterday. Tell us what yeah. happened. Yeah, Tony, it was. Uh, it could have been the greatest day in the history of Northwestern sports by a million miles. It's still up there. The lacrosse, women's lacrosse team, which had already won seven national championships under Kelly Amani, um, won again yesterday. One big, um, one big. One big. Beat, beat Boston College, which had been to six consecutive finals. And Boston College is coached by Kelly's former assistant. Oh, who, good. Who, who was Brittany's coach at Northwestern. Yeah, so we, his family. And uh, beat them pretty pretty bad. I mean, I think the final was like eighteen to six. And we had been we'd won. We it was our twenty first consecutive win. We lost our first game of the season. I don't know if it was to North Carolina. It was to a power. We lost our first game of the season, and then won twenty one straight right through yesterday. Season over. Give me a ring. Thank you very much. And uh, I, I, you know, I've been to several uh, Final Four games and national championship games uh, with the women's lacrosse team. Um, but I could not get to this. I would love to have been there. It was outside of Raleigh, Raleigh-Durham. And it was just uh, tremendous to sit and watch on ESPN yesterday. And so that happened at 9 o'clock in the morning out here, Pacific time. And then, so, you know, I was a nervous wreck until maybe, I don't know, third quarter when we stretched the lead. It was only 5-2, I think, at halftime. And then uh, we played Alabama in Tuscaloosa, series tied at one, best of three, for the right to go to Oklahoma City to the World Series. This is softball. This is softball now. And uh, we lost 2-1. to one. Oh. And it was it, we lost 3-2, to two, I'm sorry. It was 3-1 in the ninth with one out. Uh, we had a young woman hit a just blast bomb, run. a bomb to left. I saw, I saw the highlight. A bomb, a bomb, and it's three two. And you're thinking, okay, there's only one out. We got a shot here, and uh, we lost three to two at, in Tuscaloosa. I knew it was going to be, you know, you know, it's going to be hard to do to win that game. And our girls are just a great team. We won something like 33 of the last 35 games women's softball team in Northwestern, and Kate Johan is a coach. I don't know her as well and the program as well. I certainly know her well enough to pick up the phone today and call and say, hey, I hope you're not down because that was a thrilling ride to get within a run of the World Series. So this was all in one day, Tony. Uh, in one day, both games on the network, and, and you could sit around and watch, and I did that with – you know, my usual cadre of wildcat people, you know them all, and I've known them for decades. So this is, this is what I need to ask. I mean, obviously women's basketball is the number one women's sport in terms of publicity. Yeah. But softball and lacrosse are high up there. They're higher than yeah. a lot of things. They're yeah. probably even with a lot of schools in volleyball. Volleyball is very, it's a big deal too. 
Why are the women athletes at Northwestern so much better than the men athletes? What are they Believe doing me, differently? We ask that too. And, yeah. and Tony, it's different too it's on the big stage. Like I always tell you, our guys, I don't want us to be favorites. I don't. I want us to be underdogs because we play better that way. We play better with the little school that could. Our women go in and roast people. Again, it's our eighth national championship for Kelly. Uh, Kelly Amani Hiller, she's, you know, she went to Maryland, and she won two championships at Maryland as a player. So she's something of the Phil Jackson, if you will, of, uh, of lacrosse. And I, I don't know. We, we talk about it all the time. Our women's golf team is terrific. Now, our men's golf team has won national championships. Yeah, they've been good. So, but yeah, Matthew Fitzpatrick, team, for example. Yes, for Matthew Fitzpatrick. Yeah. And, and Luke Donald was the individual yeah. He won it. National champion in 2000. So really it's our non-rev sports. Our non-rev sports have been tremendous. But now, Tony, as you have the recruiting that you have and you have transfer portal and you have NIL, your star athletes can be from those sports as we see at LSU with gymnastics. What is that young woman's name? Is it Olivia Dunn? Is that her name? Yes, that's her. Um, You can get your stars on campus. And by the way, as great as LSU football is, I don't know that Olivia Dunn isn't the biggest star on LSU's campus. That's interesting. Yeah. And so we got this, you know, we got a couple of Tewartan finalists on our team for, you know, the, the Heisman of, of lacrosse. Of lacrosse, yeah. Yeah. And, and those women on our campus, you know, they can be huge. You can be a golfer on a certain team like at Stanford you you could be the biggest one of the big stars on your campus. Now I'm with, quite certain that Rose NIL. Zhang Rose made a tremendous amount of NIL money. Now she just declared yeah. for the pros because in her sport there's going to be enough. more money down That's the road. Right. But if you're a basketball player like Caitlin Clark, you yeah. can make more money in one year at Iowa yeah. than you yeah. can in the WNBA, right? You well, can. Let me say, let me say with certainty, she does. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, she does. And so, you know, I tease um, a couple of people who may have come just a little bit too early because, you know, there are women who, from Northwestern who are playing in the, in the league or playing in Europe. And if they had been a few years younger, they, now they stay four years anyway. But you, if you got a fifth year, Tony, you make more money. You make more money on agree, campus, totally yet, agree. especially depending where you are. Yeah. All right, let's move off that to the only question that matters. Will the Celtics win game seven tonight? Uh, probably. I mean, probably. Mm-hmm. But, Tony, the series is so – the twists and turns are so insane and so compelling that, I don't know, maybe not. Maybe, maybe Miami just goes back to where they were at the first two games. And says, what the hell? You know? They've stopped I mean, shooting. I mean, you know, They've stopped they, shooting. Well, they, they, you know, they didn't just stop. They got defended. That's right. Well, whatever and, happened, yeah. And, you know, and, and, and Boston started playing harder. The Celtics played harder starting in game four. Look, they bottomed out in, in game three. They bottomed. They bottomed. People said they quit. Magic Johnson tweeted accurately. They quit. I've never seen the Celtics quit. They quit on their coach. They did. And to their credit and to his credit, he walked out there, and you and I thought he went overboard when he said, you know what, this is on me. Yeah. The disconnect is with me. I didn't do my job. 
And Tony, for whatever reason, that resonated with that with those players. And guys like Marcus Smart, they, they weren't really connected to their coach and said so. Marcus Smart said he's getting ripped as rightfully he should. So it was like, what? Who says that in today's sporting landscape? But they said it. They, rock, they bottomed out. And they came with it for three games. And so tonight, you know, tonight is... You know, since the night I've rearranged my schedule in my life, and part of it is I'm waiting to. I can't. I can't really pack even and know what I'm going to do because we don't know where the series starts. If Boston wins the series, the finals start in Boston against Denver because they had a better record than if, Denver. If Miami wins, the series starts in Denver, and so we're all sort of on hold. And uh, it has become that that game. The other night, game game six. six. It's one of the ten greatest NBA games I've ever seen. Correct me if I'm wrong on something. In the game seven, the game seven against Philadelphia was the one where Tatum had 51, right? The game seven, not six. Oh boy, I've forgotten already. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Was, I, I I thought it was six. You thought it was six in I Philadelphia? Did, he had I, 51. I okay. I could be wrong. I mean, it just feels like it feels like that pattern. It feels like six and seven are good. It feels to me like Boston's going to win. It 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 feels like look, Boston's the better team. Yes, Boston's better. And 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 I heard somebody say it was Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers who made his debut on ESPN. And my God, it just seems like he's going to be great right away. Austin Rivers said, "Look, if they play with the same energy, these two teams, then Boston's, you know, that they should win." Now, Boston has struggled at home, six and seven in their last 13 home playoff games, I think, I think it is. Um, and Jimmy Butler, even though Jimmy Butler couldn't make a shot in an empty gym for three quarters, at the end of the game, he, he was hits great. the three, and he hits the free throws, and he blocks a shot. And you're like, my God, he put them up one. He put them up one. Matthew knows how much I love Jimmy Butler. Because I love Jimmy Butler much better than players that people would say more talented than Matthew loves, like Kyrie Irving. And he gets tired of me saying, over the years, he has heard me say, all his life, he has heard me say, Jimmy Butler is my favorite player in the NBA. And so we're sitting there watching a the game together, and he's like, Dad, your boy, playoff Jimmy. I said, playoff Jimmy has them ahead. He has them ahead. One more stop, he looked into the camera. Yeah. He looked at his teammates and said. They got the stop. They got and it. He got the stop. They got they it. Got, and if the ball doesn't, Legler was Tim Legler, was so great explaining. He said, "Look, people are going to blame Max Struess. You know, Max Struess has become a, 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 a quite a figure because he can shoot the hell out of it. He went to DePaul. He wanted to come to Northwestern, and and the story now among Northwestern people is we didn't admit him. So I would like to basically." drown our admissions department. <laughs> That's what I would like to do. As a trustee, I would like to put them in a boat and send them out in the middle of Lake Michigan on a 12-degree day. That's what I would like to do. Right. So Max Drews did not block out. And I guess it's his assignment when the kid from the San Antonio Goes to Derek. What's Derek White? Is that his name? Derek White. He goes to. He goes. He runs. He just makes a beeline to the rim. Well, if the ball doesn't come off at exactly that angle, 
the Celtics are dead anyway. And you could blame Max Drews, I guess. But, wow. That's only that play, to me, look, I was in Boston Garden for Burr's steals a ball. I was there. I'm sitting on the baseline. It happened 10 feet in front of me. And it is one of the most famous plays in the history of New England. Yep. Yep. And so, because it's Bird, and he wins the game, and he beats the bad boy, pisses, Bird steals the ball. I, I don't know that this isn't as good. Now, they didn't win the championship with this play, but, but both those plays were in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think, you, I think they've got to win. I think they need to validate it tonight right, for that right, to happen. To be as big, for the but, lore but, to, to yeah, get bigger. Yeah, if yeah, they lose tonight, it's so. just, you know, it's not... Yeah. But I don't think they're going to lose. Wow. I just don't think they're going to lose. I don't think so either. But I think think Miami, just like Boston had to prove something to itself in game, you know, at the end of three games because they stunk it out so badly. I think Miami, I think Miami may have come by something in that game by the way they played so hard and they were outplayed for the entire game and they're up one. They're going to go to the finals. Except they don't. So yeah, it, they don't. it's it's a it's a it's a wow, it's a wow to me. I mean, it's a hell of a sports weekend for me. I'm I'm smart a little bit because I really wanted to beat Alabama and win in softball. But it's like, uh, maybe it was Brennan who said to me in a text last night. Okay, let's not get greedy. We we won a national championship today, yeah. you know, and we got to the super regional to within an out. Let's not get you know don't get don't be don't, don't get chesty. Uh, and, and, and ask for it all. All right. I'll talk to you later during the day. I'll say hi. All right. Have a we'll good holiday. So. All right. Good. Thank you. You too. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Jeff Passan will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, these are the Websters, W-E-B. S-T-I-R-S, and we've discussed how odd that is. <laughs> Mark Winkler, who has um, attempted to play the French horn on some of these cuts, has sent these in from the Websters. This is called All Is Not Lost. Michael, if bands like the Websters want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. And this plays in Jeff Passan. And we want to talk to Jeff Passan about robotic umpires, and we're going to get to that. But there's a but here. I was watching the pregame last night of Sunday Night Baseball, and then I watched the first inning, which only took five hours because the Philadelphia pitcher could not get anybody out. (laughs) Only took five hours. But, Jeff, I saw you on the pregame, and you were talking about a baseball player who had missed a lot of time due to the discovery of cancer in his body. Can you just bring us up to date on who he is and I think the the good news that has accompanied this conversation. On December 7th, 
Tony, Liam Hendricks, who who's had a really, really interesting career. He's been designated for assignment five times by teams, which means that there were five times that teams just thought he wasn't worth a spot on their big league roster and wasn't going to make it long term. So he has been passed over. He has been thrown around. And finally, in his late 20s, stuck with the Oakland A's and turned into one of the best relievers in baseball and signed a $54 million contract with the Chicago White Sox and life was good. And then on December 7th this year, he was told uh, that he has lymphoma. And on January 8th this year, uh, was sitting and receiving uh, chemotherapy and immunotherapy uh, through uh, an IV for 10 hours. And on opening day this year was receiving it for the fourth time while the Chicago White Sox team was playing. And now on May 29th is going to be activated by the White Sox cancer free after having stage four non-Hodgkin lymphoma and is going to be back on the mound. And he is just a supreme badass. There's no other way to put it, and it's an incredible story of modern medicine, of perseverance, of positive attitude, and of this guy who has been knocked down and out by the sport he loves, and now uh, a disease was trying to take over his body, and doctors at the Mayo Clinic helped save him and his life, and uh, he's here to do good and spread that second chance throughout baseball and the world. And I just think it's it's a wonderful, wonderful story and one that I hope a lot of people read when it's up on ESPN.com. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's a, it, he's not the only one who has had bouts with cancer who's continued to no. play baseball. But, but his seemed to be um, a little bit more severe than others, and it's wonderful, Jeff, that he's going to get back in and play. And I'm sure that, you know, he'll every day he gets out there, he's going to be thrilled to play, right? You'd have to think that. Yeah, let, let me just, if, if you want to know who Liam Hendricks is, this, this anecdote perfectly encapsulates him. Uh, the, the first day he walked into the Mayo Clinic, he, uh, you know, he walked by this store, and it was a store that had head coverings and wigs and other sorts of things that people who have lost their hair because of chemotherapy treatment uh, would go in there and, and uh, purchase. And these wigs can be expensive. And quite often they are not covered by insurance. And on the last day uh, when Liam Hendricks was declared cancer-free, he and his wife, Christy, walked into this shop. Uh, they asked how much every wig in their costs and they bought the entire inventory and donated it back to the Mayo Clinic to give out to people uh, who are going through this horrible thing that cancer is and might not be able to afford it. That is a lovely story. That's a lovely story. So now I'm going to turn back to what I originally wanted to talk about, which is robotic umps. Whose idea is this? How is it being tested? Major League Baseball has wanted some version of robot umps. And I, by the way, 
if if you're picturing, um, you know, like R two D two standing back yeah. there, yeah. or or three PO like putting his gold arm out for for strikes, or uh, you know the the Jet, what's the Jetsons robot name? Why am I blanking on this? I don't know. Bobby. Rosie. Rosie standing back Rosie? there. Yes. Okay. Yeah, doing doing her thing. Now, uh, what robot umpires are is it's essentially a fancy way to uh, describe the automated ball strike system that Major League Baseball has spent two decades now developing. It's uh, not know, on the bases, right? It's not on the bases. It's just no, ball not strike. On the bases, just for balls and strikes. And there is a live human back there as well, yes? There is still a human umpire back there who has an earpiece and is being fed the result of every pitch. I won't. I won't get too nerdy here, but uh, twelve cameras essentially all tracking this ball, so that when it crosses home plate, they know exactly where it is, and within less than half a second, the the ball strike call gets relayed into the earpiece that the umpire is wearing. Now, at AAA, Tony, they're testing this right now, and they're testing it in two different ways, which is, to me, the interesting part. It's like an A-B test. Um, Tuesday through Thursday, it is full ABS, which means they are going only robot umpire making the ball strike call. So what you get there is consistency. You know, the strike zone is the same for everyone. Top end, 51% of your height bottom end 27% and it's a consistent strike zone. Um, what you lose is like the human part of things and it's a little weird, but you get that on Friday through Sunday when games are being called by human umpires, but the ABS system is used for challenges where players can tap on their heads and uh, within 10 seconds, a, if they think that the, the call was wrong by the umpire, uh, ABS adjudicates it and says the umpire was right or the player who asks for it was How right. How many and challenges that, do you get? Path. How many do you get? Uh, three challenges, three unsuccessful challenges per game. So if you keep getting your challenges right, you retain your challenges. How long does it take on average to get through a challenge? Uh, it's less than 10 seconds. It's, okay. It is instantaneous and it's kind of cool because. It's almost like uh, the shot spot technology in tennis when it first came around. It's up on the screen, and you're watching the, the tail of the ball go in real time. And you're like, oh, oh, or, you know, yeah. you're excited because it's a correct challenge. They have this in tennis. I couldn't think of anywhere else, but I had. But the obvious questions are most important. Uh, is it proving to be an improvement on human umpires? And secondly... How does the umpires union feel about this? Or have they been promised, no, we're not going to take your job away. You are not going to lose umpires. Well, how does that work? It is very accurate to Major League Baseball says within one-tenth of one inch when the original systems back in, you know, 2006 were like two to three inches of, of accuracy. So, they are accurate. Uh, they also are fallible, Tony, because they're machines. Like an ABS system went down at the Syracuse game uh, a few days ago. And, re- you know, umpires had to actually be umpires and call it. And there are 
definitely concerns among the Major League Baseball Umpires Association. They don't like it because, you know, balls and strikes are the most integral part of their job. And their concern is even if you put in a challenge system, right, which seems to be a half measure and and preserves catchers' ability to frame pitches and try to steal strikes right. and feels a lot more like the game that is right now, even if you do all that, you're always going to have the group of people that says, and understandably so, if we have something that can get this right 100% of the time, why don't we use it? Where's the logic in that? What sense does that make to maintain an imperfect system when we can have a perfect one? Uh, yeah, I mean, when you watch football and you are told, oh, that play can't be reviewed, you go, what are we talking about? What do you mean it can't yeah. be reviewed? If you can review the other plays and it gets it right, you got to be able to re review this play. So I suspect... I suspect that this is the future. Do we know? I, you probably know this. It's probably a silly question. Where is Theo Epstein on this? Uh, I don't think Theo Epstein has publicly offered his opinion yet. So I don't. I, I'm. I'm not sure that I'm going to go out and say where he is. Right. Specifically, I will. I will say this: there are people at Major League Baseball who don't look at ABS necessarily as the solution, Tony, to ball and strike umpiring because they feel like ball and strike umpiring has gotten better, which it has. Even if it's not perfect, it's gotten a lot better over the last couple decades. I think what people at Major League Baseball really, truly would love to use ABS for, and this would include Theo Epstein's group, is to try and get more balls in play and to try and bring the strikeout rate down. And that's where the interesting part of the technology, to me, comes in. It's very easy to say the technology's good now. It's calling balls and strikes right. Uh, we can get that right. But leveraging that technology by manipulating the strike zone within the system and testing it out at different minor league levels, Tony, you know, Major League Baseball wants nothing more than the strikeout rate to come down yeah. and balls to be in play because they feel like that's where the action is. And if they can figure out a shape of strike zone that achieves that in testing next year, then they will test that positive shape again throughout, I would imagine, the 2025 season in the minor leagues after doing it in 2024 at one level. And if it's successful throughout the minor leagues the way the pitch clock was, then potentially we can see a brand new strike zone in 2026. Like this is all just experimentation by major league baseball in hopes of getting a better game. And I think we can almost all of us agree. Hitchcock makes for a better baseball game. Like we're, we're on that now. I think everyone agrees with that. At yeah. This, point. this is really interesting. Thank you on this. Thank you. I mean, we're obviously years away, but the, the notion of reshaping a strike zone in order to make every batter understand, go after these pitches because here's yep. the strike zone. Yep. That's great. Thank you, Jeff. As always, thank you. Thank you, Tony. Happy uh, happy holiday weekend. You too. Jeff Passon, boys and girls. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. So that's Ian Warrington, and he's playing all the instruments. There are at least three different layers of instruments in that, and he's playing them all. And that would be fine. But if he wasn't also an emergency room doctor, okay? Like, what are your accomplishments? <laughs> Ian Warrington can do that, all right? You want to do the Bethesda bagel ad, please? I, I can do the Bethesda bagel read. It's yeah. comparable. Uh, Bethesda bagels, we love it. We've got the bagel sandwiches today. Always Good. great when that happens. Good. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you will be thrilled. So Nigel comes up with song lyrics and doesn't really try to stump me because it's stumping me is, is very hard to do because yes, they're imprinted in my brain. So the other day, he just says, I'll give you the first line. And he goes, when this old world starts getting me down, and I go, when people are just too much for me to face, I climb up to the top of the stairs, and all my cares just drift right into space. And that's where he cuts it off. And I go, on the roof, as peaceful as can be, and darling, you can share it all with me. I keep on telling you that right smack dab in the middle of town, I found a, I found a paradise that's trouble-proof, and if this world starts getting you down, there's room enough for two up on the roof. Like, I know that song. Yes. I, it's a <laughs> song I know. What yeah. can I tell you? Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Jeff Passan. Thanks to our sponsors, Etsy, Nuts.com, Sunday. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. Okay. So we got this a week ago. I haven't read it on the air yet. It's so good. I want you to all hear it. It's from David Epstein in New York. I have to make arrangements to have the tomato cleared of all these false charges. On the May 18th podcast, <laughs> Nigel cautioned, and you agreed, that one should not play around with the kids while putting a tomato in one's mouth, lest one risk the fate of Vito Corleone. But while he was indeed among the tomato plants, it was in fact an orange. Yes. Specifically the rind of said orange, and not a tomato that was in the Don's mouth when he suffered the fatal heart attack. Oranges are a recurring motif within The Godfather. They're on the dinner table before the horse's head ends up in Waltz's bed. <laughs> Oranges are again on the table during the meeting of the five families, and we know how it ends for them. The Don is shopping for oranges with Fredo before he is gunned down and so on. Oh, yes. I did not know that, but if that's true... Let's unpeel that a little. Yeah, that's a good line. <laughs> if, if that is indeed true, that is Coppola and that is Puzo. Yes. And, and that's saying this is important. And famously, Johnny Ola giving an orange. An orange. Yes. It's, it's important. Tony, you're my podcast brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the tomato again. <laughs> ever. It's a brilliant email. From Mark Birnbaum, Los Angeles, California. I thought about you when I read this headline in today's paper. New York governor plans to house hundreds of migrants on SUNY college campuses. My anticipated headline for the next day is migrants scheduled to be housed at Binghamton University waiting to get off the waiting list for Cornell. That's funny. 
That's funny. We often say that Binghamton is the Cornell of Broome County. Continued appreciation for all the laughs you and the gang. Tom in Omaha, having grown up in Iowa and residing in Omaha for the last 50 years, I can confirm that the best sweet corn is neither white nor yellow. It's both. Peaches and cream sweet corn has both yellow and white kernels alternating on the cob. This hybrid has been grown and sold in the Midwest for decades. New Jersey sweet corn, please. Stick to what you know. I would never <laughs> presume to expound on bagels or the definition of pizza. Okay, slap down one more time. From Josh Cromwell, our friend in Moselle, Mississippi. I enjoyed the fact that P.K. Subban christened you with one of the great honors in sports during his appearances on PTI. He gave you a hockey nickname. Eat it, Oatsy and Trotsy. This is Corny's town now. <laughs> My nickname from all of high school. Corny. Corny. Yeah. yeah, you would know if you were here. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. From J.D. Ewitt in Oxford, Mississippi. Oxford is the home of the University of Mississippi. That's William Faulkner's home, is it yes, not? Yes, I believe so. Your discussion about Chuck Berry being on the Mount Rushmore of rock and roll reminded me of a line that Bob Dylan once said on a Sirius XM show. If they hadn't called it rock and roll, they'd have named it Chuck Berry. <laughs> it's a great line. Well, Dylan's smart guy, right? Yeah. P.S. Please tell Spencer Reedy in Denver, Colorado to eat it. From Jason Bullitt in Saratoga County, New York. That's upstate. As someone who is a lifelong upstate New Yorker, here's how I define this massive area. Anywhere that isn't New York City or Westchester County, that's it. That's the list. And that is essentially how I look at things. That's the reason I'm a bullet stand right there. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse from Frederick. I guess Frederick, Maryland. I know it's always going to be the Tappan Zee Bridge for some people, but the Tappan Zee Bridge doesn't exist anymore. It's now the Governor Mario Cuomo Bridge. Oh, yeah. I only know this because the company I work for built it. I haven't actually driven over it yet to upstate New York. I didn't know it was a Mario Cuomo Bridge. In my lifetime, it, it is the Tappan Zee. It will be the Tappan Zee. It's like National Airport for me is National, National airport. airport. It's not Reagan. Right. It's National Airport. That's what I'm used to, National Airport. From Thomas Olson in Loma Linda, California. I grew up in Brooklyn. We had a country place in Brightwoods, Long Island, found of no map I know of but near Riverhead. My aunt and uncle retired to Mount... Kid, Mount Kiddo, Mount something, Mount Kisco maybe, in Westchester, but we all referred to it as upstate. Though it has never gotten not my emails read, I must point out again that if I was somewhere in the crowd that night, on July 18, 1970, and then the U.S. Tennis Center in Forest Hills when Tony over, overheard Art Garfunkel blow away the house with Paul Simon's Bridge Over Troubled Water. I heard Art Garfunkel and Paul Simon say that at the Gershwin Music Prize really? in Washington, D.C., right? That was at yep. the Warner Theater, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yes. I don't, I'm not sure I was at the outdoor concert in Central Park. And this is not even Central Park, because this is the U.S. Tennis Center. Yeah, did they, I guess they played there one time. Yeah, maybe I was at that. They I don't did remember. do concerts there. Simon and Garfunkel played in Binghamton. They played at Harper College. They played at Harper College when they had just, they, it had, um, Sounds of Silence had just come out. <laughs> That's, yeah, this is, I think, it predates Bridge Over Troubled wow. Water. Wow. Michael Diesenhoff in Avon, Connecticut. Avon, Connecticut is the home of uh, Norby. It's charming to hear all the people who now or in the past called New York home a pine on the silly boundaries of some nebulous make-believe designation. As many a great philosopher has pointed out, no one personally affected any situ by any situation could have an objective viewpoint on that question. I think that's Marxism. Maybe not. It's been a while since sophomore year. In any event, I'm here to help. Having grown up in New Jersey, I'm agnostic here and will happily settle this once and for all. 
Upstate is anywhere I didn't have relatives. It's fabulous. <laughs> Nana and Pop lived in Manhattan, so that couldn't be upstate. Aunt Bobby and Uncle Garrett and my first cousins lived in Westchester, so that's out. Martha and Joe and their kids lived on the island. Plus, that's where Cousin Sherry and her Hicksville High School classmate Billy Joel lived. Yes, Billy Joel. It's really pretty simple. I'm not sure what all the confusion is about. I will add that my mom had a college friend who married a periodontist and lived in Middletown, New York, which we referred to as upstate. Absolutely. Upstate's where you make the turn on 17 to go to Binghamton. That's absolutely upstate. And since even though we called her Aunt Raj, she wasn't a blood relative, that's all the proof I need. Let me know what else I can help with. P.S. Norby gives out full-size candy bars at Halloween. <laughs> it's the greatest part of the email. Norby gives out full-size candy bars at Halloween. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Can I raise a practical question at this point? Are we going to do Stonehenge tomorrow? No, we're not going to do Stonehenge. Well, thank you for clearing that up for us, Mr. St. Ubbins. But before we get to the music, let me give a quick plug for our great friend, the brilliant Dan Byrne, who'll be playing live tomorrow, that's Tuesday, May 30th, at 1 p.m. at Calvert Woodley Liquor in front of the legendary La Cheeserie counter. Now, as Dan put it, he'll play a few cheese songs and maybe Victor Wimbanyama as well. So I hope you all can stop by, see Dan, and sure, buy some cheese at La Cheeserie while you're there. That's the whole point. Well, it's also to see Dan play some terrific music. So make sure you stop by tomorrow at one at Calvert Woodley Liquor. Now, here's the Websters. You can stop at any time and take it up another year. You can get off and get right back on and never make it anywhere. We all have our reasons to try. We all believe what we need to get by. You can start a brand new song and never know what Can 